Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. And I am delighted to introduce you to my radical extreme Catholic friend, Tasha. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to let her tell you about how, exactly how extreme and um, hateful she actually is. And what's going to be extra interesting about this, well, we're going to talk, first of all, we are going to have some fun. Tasha and I are going to do retrospective forensic psychiatric diagnoses of the House of Tudor. <laughs> so, uh, because somebody <laughs> needs to do it. Everybody's always feeling sympathetic for Mary or Catherine or Anne. And um, I just want to, I just want to basically diagnose all of them. Henry too. We'll start with him. No, actually, we're going to start with Lady Margaret Beaufort. Oh, my uh, goodness. <laughs> yes. well, what's extra funny about this is, um, Tasha, you are the person that I use when uh, somebody gets surprised that I'm willing to talk to religious people. And I say, you know what? Not only that, Tasha's my friend. She also thinks that homosexuality is a sin. <laughs> It really sends them around the bend. How can you take <laughs> All right. First, though, I saw you tweet earlier today about the homily during mass today, and it sounded interesting. Yeah. So tell us about it, please. Well, it was a 30-minute homily, so I won't take that much time. But um, basically, uh, Father Altier, who actually went viral during the vid years here um, he went viral because of his you know the the v the the virus that shall not be named oh oh i see um, i see okay <laughs> yeah um he went viral because of his um outspokenness about about the whole issue about lockdowns about vaccinations about just everything um so much so that the uh, archdiocese kind of moved him around a little bit and then suppressed him a little bit and told him he wasn't allowed to talk about certain topics and <laughs> things like that. But anyways, he's one of our priests at our parish and we go to um, a Latin mass parish mm -hmm. and your Catholic listeners will, will understand when I say that. Um, <clears throat> and um he spoke today because today is May 1st and it's the feast of St. Joseph the Worker. And it's a feast day that's largely been co-opted by Marxism, um, celebrating, you know, communism and communist workers and et cetera. Um, and he went on to speak about how he, he apologized first that it was gonna be so long. And then he laid a challenge to parents to listen carefully and do their best to heed what he had to say. And what he really honed in on was the softness of society. And he started by talking about an article he had read by a man who's, who used to be a Navy SEAL and trains people to, be, to take the tests to become Navy SEALs. And the differences that he's noticed over a really short period of time in how unprepared physically people are. And, um, and then unprepared, how much unprepared for what uh, physically pre physical preparation for the seal certification tests. 
And um, he said that he's, I don't remember the exact numbers he, he cited, but it was like, you know, it's taking four to six times as long for people to get to even a base level. And they, but, but at the same time, their confidence level is sky high. And they're like, oh no, I'm totally good and I'll totally pass the SEAL test. But really, most of them don't. Well, and then that, that's a, t- I mean, this is not just being a Marine. Right. Or, or it's, no, I'm sorry, is it Navy? I think SEAL is Navy. Yeah. Okay. That's not just being a, 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 a corpsman in the Navy. I mean, th- this is high level. You right. Know, this in is a good like, year, hold your a lot breath of- for three minutes at a time right. in the water, you know? <laughs> So, so, I mean, really, nobody ought to be going into that with a high amount of confidence. <laughs> right. Well, he was expressing that people are, but their capabilities aren't at their confidence level. And then he went on to talk about, um, you know, we've, we've seen on social media in years past, could you pass this test for eighth graders from like 1900 or whatever, yeah. you know, and a lot of high school students can't, you know, because it's, it's thinking stuff but he he said he was talking to like his grandmother or his some or his maybe it was his sister he's he's a little bit older and his sister is in her 70s or she would be in her 70s and she was like the first among the first cropping of students who they went from taking essay tests to multiple choice tests to make grading easier for teachers and then he talked about Ben Carson and about how his mother challenged him and his brother because they were fighting all the time and they were absorbed in just inanity and, and all sorts just, and just for, getting in I'm trouble. I'm just going to break in and say this for listeners as a reminder. Sure. Ben Carson, the former head of the Housing and Urban Urban Development Yes, um, Dr. Ben Carson. Agency. Uh, he's a brain surgeon, a uh, black man who gets uh, shit on by the left because he's not on the left. That's the one, right? Right. Okay. Yep, that's the one. So he was raised by a single mother and um, he and his brother were kind of down the wrong path. And I, I've heard the story prior to father telling it and it's really remarkable. And she said, okay, you guys have to go to the library and you have to read a book and you have to give me a book report every, it was like every week or every day, something like that. And so they would do that. And later on in life, found out that they're but she laid this expectation for them. Um, we don't see that anymore. And really his whole, the, the whole um, thesis of his homily today was society is soft. We are soft in body. We are soft in spirit. We are soft intellectually. And there are no challenges for any of that at all. Okay. So I tweeted about it. I thought it was really profound. It's something that we, um, Travis and I, my husband, talk a lot about with regard to our own children, like, because we homeschool and we're, we're always wondering, okay, well, what, what can our children be challenged by right now, intellectually, right. because that's what we care about. Sure, facts and such, it's really great to know stuff, but are you wise? Mm-hmm. Do you have the ability to think about these things? We're, we're talking, uh, we're doing government study right now in our homeschool and, and starting to parse our way through the constitution and, and the way the framers worked, et cetera. And I'm always asking the children, why do you think this? Why do you think Thomas Paine 
wrote Common Sense. Why do you think, what do you think he was saying with this manifesto? What do you, you know, like asking all of these questions to get them to start thinking Socratically about motivations. Yeah. I mean, it's really basic, you know? Um, and so that was the challenge that Father laid was to do this for your children and challenge them mentally, challenge them physically. He told a story about somebody in seminary who complained that his parents abused him mm-hmm. because they made him mow the lawn. What? And I was like, that's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> I think everybody yeah, just kind of yeah, collectively yeah. was like, what? Mowing the lawn is now abusive? What's like, you know, and I do see that I, um, I'm, Reluctantly on TikTok, I know I could not be, and and that would be fine too. But I'm on TikTok, and I follow mostly like Catholics and homesteaders and homeschoolers. Yeah. You know my interests, and so many times in comments on farm pages, especially, I see people just decrying children being made to do farm chores. Okay, okay, I have to jump in here because we've <laughs> talked about this before, but I'm going to have to rehearse it a little bit so that other people sure. can hear it. This drives me crazy. Um, uh, listeners, for those of you who don't know, and, and I'll, I'll ask Tasha if she wants to give us a little bit more um, information on this. Tasha also comes from an abusive home. Her mother is a cluster B. Her father was a cluster B. Uh, so she's had similar experiences to the kinds of things that you hear us talking about on the show here. And Tasha also used to be on the left, like I was, and has, uh, has returned to Catholicism and has gone to conservatism. And we have talked about the fact that, and I'm not sure if this is true um, for your mother, Tasha, but when I was a kid, some of the good things that my mother did for us included an insistence on literacy and mm-hmm. self-sufficiency from a very young age. So we got mm-hmm. a library card at six or seven years old. Uh, mother did not, she would not be a dictionary for you. Mom, what does this mean? Go get the dictionary and look look it it up up. or figure it out from context. Yep. So yeah, we had the same. I told, I relayed that a similar story today to my children when we were talking at lunchtime about the homily and um, my father in the summertime, I said, one of the positive things that my father did was he made us read the newspaper in the summer and then mm-hmm. we had to write a report similar to Ben, as, when, as I was talking about the Ben Carson story, we had to write a report summarizing the three articles that we read before we were allowed to go out. And then every Sunday, he had the New York Times crossword puzzle, and we were made to do it in ink. You know, and so that kind of, like, in that was a really positive thing that I do remember. And it, we did, we had the big dictionary, and it was, what's this word mean? Go look it up. Yep. Go look it up. And so, yeah, I, I do appreciate that component. It was my father, not my mother, who um, who did give that to us. And so, I, I, yeah, that, that was a good thing that he did. Well, and, and also, you know, we've talked about this before as well. Although both of us in our childhoods were parentified, we were given more responsibility than mm-hmm. we should have been given. Some of what Some of what both of us did in our own ways we certainly had more responsibility for chores than the average kid did, but not all of that was abuse. I mean, I was right. very happy to get a paper route at 11 years old and start making money. Right. Uh, that's when I started working and it, and it was great. And when you look back, you look back 130 years ago in this country at 
when people when more people lived on farms, you simply could not run a farm. You could not right. run a household without everybody contributing something according to his level. Right. And I don't see that as child abuse either, but you suggest to people, hey, have the kids go out and mow the lawn, mm-hmm. have them go out and milk the cows, whatever it is. And people act as if you're saying we should let's abolish all child labor laws and put them right. back, <laughs> put them back in coal mines with the acetylene gas lanterns. Right. Right. Why are you why are your children doing chores? You stay home all day. You should be doing them. Oh, (laughs) so I'm not supposed to be teaching my children to clean up after themselves. I'm not supposed to be teaching my children to do the dishes. My job as a parent is actually to run out of jobs to do. Because I I should be training my children to do these things so that they can be functional people. But to some people, these these things are abuse. Yeah. And it's just bonkers. And that's why we have so many soft people physically, intellectually, this learned helplessness that we see yes. that's so pervasive. And, and, and like I said, with the guy who mentioned, who talked about the SEAL training, we, as much helplessness and softness as we see, there's also equally, you can see my gesticulating shadow behind my head here. Yes. <laughs> I can, but the uh, listeners can. It's special for me. There's equally this over amount, uh, uh, overly large amount of confidence that people have. They're like, oh, I could do that. I could survive the zombie apocalypse. Never mind. I can't. I have no idea how to bake a loaf of bread, but (laughs) I can totally survive the zombie apocalypse because pew, pew, pew. And but they've never fired a gun in their life. You know, like you've never harvested an animal. You, 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 you think eating animals is bad and sad and wrong. And but you think you're going to survive the zombie apocalypse. Okay. (laughs) No, I know. But you you know what? This, of course, this tracks, Tasha, because what he found with this overconfidence in one's abilities in inductees to SEAL training, we see the very same thing played out with American school kids. Yes. When surveys are done, they rate their vocabulary, their, their literacy, their body of knowledge far, far higher than objective standards actually show. There's a huge mismatch. And I know everybody gets sick of hearing this, but this is partially a consequence of the self-esteem movement. Absolutely, 100%. And that's why, you know, I've got this um, former friend from a long time ago whose daughter really enjoyed music and she could play music really well, but she was a terrible singer, but she didn't think she was. And her mother always encouraged her. Oh, so beautiful. She's such a beautiful singer. Don't you love hearing her sing? And I'm like, actually, my ears are bleeding. (laughs) Well, I would never be that mean to a child, especially my own child. I would never say, no, really, you make you make my ears bleed. I wouldn't encourage I'd encourage them their love of music always. But I would I would um, I would encourage the things that they're good at within it and then help them train the things that they're not good at, you know. And I mean, for example, say, oh, you're, you're a pro, <laughs> right? For example, I mean, if I had a child like that or a child like your, like your friend's child for Christmas, for example, I might get her a diatonic scale. Sure. <laughs> I mean, you know, I might teach her that there are seven notes yes. and that each one of them is important. <laughs> and as much as I despise the carpenters, I would make her listen to Karen Carpenter's contralto and go from there. 
Okay, this is fascinating because I think people who listen to the show know that I adore the Carpenters. I did not know that you did. I didn't know that you oh, just dis- disliked the Carpenters. I can't. I can't with the Carpenters. What is it? Is it is it I the d- schmaltziness? I think so. I think it's the schmaltz. And I think it's just, I think Karen Carpenter's voice is beautiful. But I think it's just so boring. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> I think it's boring. And then there's. And and then there's the schmaltz for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely, it's definitely schmaltz. I mean, you know, it defines the genre of easy listening. Yes. Um, We are going to take a quick break and come back on the other side. Kevin and Josh work themselves to the bone to bring you dark and disturbing content every week. There are starving listeners overseas who get no podcasts at all. Show appropriate gratitude today by making a donation at patreon.com forward slash disaffected or at subscribestar.com forward slash disaffected. Do it for mother. Okay, we're back. I would like to dive into the tutors, if you will. Yes. And what I find interesting about this, both both you and I are, are big into tutor history. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those areas where I appreciate. Okay, so this isn't about the tutors, but this is sort of about personality disorders writ large. I appreciate you and your Catholic perspective, because although I am not a believer, I do think that things that I would see, behaviors that I would see in the world that I would call severely disordered, cluster B, and evil. I'm not afraid to call behaviors evil. Mm -hmm. Most people on the left are, certainly non-believers are. Um, It seems to me from our conversations that you and I see these things so closely on a moral plane. There's really mm-hmm. very little difference between how we judge these things morally, the way people behave, uh, even though yours is grounded in a theistic perspective and mine is not. And one of the things right. I, I have appreciated about the change of mind that I've had politically over the past six years has been forming friendships with and discussing with Religious people like you, to me, have a much better and more accurate grasp of human nature than a lot of non-religious people do. In fact, I would say it starts with the fact that you book, you you acknowledge that there is such a thing as human nature. Mm-hmm. This is controversial today it sure on, is. The, yep. on the respectable left. We are all <clears throat> supposed to be blank slates, but we're not blank slates. And- Although the people we're going to be talking about are extraordinary, both in good and bad ways, most of us are very, very like each other. We humans Mm -hmm. are cut from very similar cloth. We go wrong in the same ways and we can go right in the same ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. uh, in fact, it was part of our conversation. <laughs> it was part of our conversation on the way home from church in the in the van. And Travis and I were talking about um, we we used the shopping cart, and and this is the shopping cart uh, moral question as to whether or not you put the shopping cart away. <clears throat> and um, the that's a really grand um, experiment to see where someone aligns 
without saying anything because there isn't a risk or reward. And to putting your shopping cart away, that is. Yep. And Matt Walsh talks about this all yes, the time. Yes, he does. Yes, hilarious. he does. I heard it yesterday and I was like, yes. <laughs> but it's because there's no risk or reward payoff. So putting your shopping cart away puts you on that lawful good. Okay. Putting, leaving your shopping cart out puts you in that chaotic category, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, and I think that you can generally tell a lot about a person based on that and are is everybody going to be 100 percent all the time probably not most most people who are on that lawful good side they're probably going to have a time or two like travis pointed out today you know we've got we've got a million children and you know what if there's we've got just little children with us and we, we can't leave children in the car because, you know, society says you'll get children can't be in a car by themselves. You'll get arrested. You know, everybody will overheat within the 30 seconds that you have to put the cart away. And I told mm-hmm. them, well, I just park right next to the cart corral all the time. And then I don't ever have a problem, you know, and then it protects <laughs> my car on one side as well. So there's a benefit for me. Right. Um, but um, so every, no, nobody's going to be 100% with it. But in general terms, I think you can really tell what, where that um, morality meter and ethics meter lines up with how somebody behaves with that situation. And we de- dove into it a little bit further with regard to human nature. And those people who you say, and I talked about this on Twitter a little bit today too, um, those people who you would say have a good nature mm-hmm. and they're happy-go-lucky and they're, they're generally in a positive positive frame of mind right but easy to get along with right but their ideals are aligned with things that are objectively against the law of nature how so like like um you know everybody is entitled to this thing because human beings need this thing or everybody is entitled to an abortion and and of course we differ on the abortion question um, not as extremely as we used to. Right. Um, everybody is entitled to an abortion because insert reason. Everybody's no. entitled. So people it, from my my religious framework, people who align with these mostly leftist positions or paying student debts. The, well, the government spends money in Ukraine. So why shouldn't they spend money on us? Well, my children are going to pay for it and they haven't consented to it. Yeah. And I'm going to pay so for it and you're going to pay for it. You're stealing from my children before they're even adults and can make these kind of decisions. So, yep. and I, I've paid my debts. Why aren't you paying your debts? Um, so these kind of examples tend to fall on that left side. And then people who have them, who have these happy-go-lucky, good nature, please hear my air quotes, listeners, yep. good nature about them. They're not actually good nature people. Because their nature is aligned with disorder. Okay. I've found that people whose nature is um, aligned lawfully with order, um, those are the good-natured people. They're still positive. They're still happy. But they've got their ish together. And their moral compass is pointing in the right direction. Their ethical compass is pointed in the right direction. Because I don't think that good nature and disorder can go together because that's not that human sense. nature. I th- And I think that what you're referring to is good natured with people like this, that people would 
describe as good natured is what they're describing is is not a person's moral character, but their affect. Right. You know, mm-hmm. how, how how bubbly they are, how agreeable they are in conversation or when you're right. choosing to go to a restaurant or. Right. It has to do with agreeability, really, mm-hmm. you know, and being agreeable is a moral failing. I, I mean, honestly, <laughs> Thank you. I feel validated. <laughs> <laughs> I don't because care we're all more, told. Like, you're, uh, if what, whatever you believe about God, your moral mm-hmm. failing, if you are, you are morally failing, if you are an agreeable person, period, because that just means you'll do what you're told without right. question. Or you'll, or you will, or you will do what you believe you are supposed to do to avoid the criticism of people, but without, exactly. without taking any time to think about whether what you're doing is moral or ethical. Right. Exactly. Yep. So. And I think that a lot of the tutors fall right into that okay let's do it then this is interesting so i was thinking about well i think about this a lot because i'm so interested in this history but when i look at a political system a political and family system like what obtained in europe in the early renaissance and and for some time long before then and for some time afterward i do i i actually question whether anybody in these families could have come out of that system without being personality disordered or seriously mm-hmm. mentally deranged. I think maybe a small handful of Plantagenets could have. Okay. But that's it. Like let's, just a small handful. Let's give, let's give for people who don't know anything about this, um, let's give them a little bit of background. And I think you, I've got a Tudor family tree open in front of me because although I know a lot of this stuff, I get mixed up so often. Yeah, I do too. I have to break, I have to open stuff up all the time and I'm only on my phone. So I'm going to let you do the, the okay. Googling. So the house of Plantagenet, um, gave way to the house of Tudor, uh, with the accession of Henry the seventh. Um, and he, let me see. Um, yeah, the House of Tudor went from Henry, uh, Henry VII's accession, he was the first Tudor king, um, to the death of Elizabeth I in 1603. So we're talking a span of 1405 to 1603. And Henry VII um, married Elizabeth of York, and this was to be the marriage of the, house of, uh, the houses of Lancaster and York. Mm-hmm. These were the two rival families. Am I correct or am I wrong here? Yep. Who both spring from Plantagenet. Thank you. I I get that mixed up too. They both come out of the same family tree. And that's why, why the war of the roses happened. That's right. That's right. So this was supposed to bring these two dynasties together and, and unite this family uh, rather than having them in conflict. And Henry the seventh and Elizabeth of York um, had gave um, their first child was Arthur, Arthur Tudor, Mm -hmm. who was to be married to Catherine of Aragon. And Aragon, for those of you who don't know, was a kingdom in what we now call Spain. There was Castile and Aragon Mm -hmm. until they were united and then disunited and then united again under a different system. And so Catherine of Aragon comes over from Spain to England and is married at, I think she was, what was she, 15? When they married? I think she was four, 14 or 15 when they married. Yeah. Yeah. Something Arthur, like Arthur, that. I think was a year old. I think she was 14 and he was 15 mm-hmm. and they were only married for about 
six or seven months before he died. Yep. And there is these, now these are questions that are controversial. People have different opinions on this. Uh, but the big question was, had that marriage been consummated? Had they had sex with each other? Because certainly they had no offspring. There are various opinions. I tend to think it probably was not. What do you think? I do not think that they did. Okay. I, I really hold fast to that because Catherine of Aragon was so devout mm-hmm. as a Catholic. Yep. And there are also rumors of homosexuality um, about on Arthur. Arthur. Yeah. Right. And those tend to be pretty well-founded rumors when, okay. when it comes up about, about arist- um, aristocracy. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of believe it, honestly. So Arthur dies um, young <clears throat> and Catherine of Aragon is stuck in England and she basically molders for seven years in a, in a state of limbo. Uh, she has no real place at court. She can't quite go home. Uh, she was very poor during some of that time. There was no money coming from home. Uh, she didn't have access to her uh, to the money that came to her marriage. And then seven years after- Well, her, her money that came to her marriage wasn't even fully sent either. And so that was right. some of the controversy around when she was going to be marrying Henry. Right. Um, that, that came in there too. So then seven years later, Henry, Henry VIII is who we're talking about here, was not meant, he was not destined to be, he was not the heir. He was the spare. He was the second son. He was not brought up from birth to be a prince. He was not the Prince of Wales. That was Arthur. Uh, But there he was. And lots of machinations happened. They end up getting married to each other, Henry and Catherine. And Henry is interesting to me. Everybody remembers that that Henry had eight wives. He executed two of them, uh, but he had a disastrous marriage career. And I think when I first began to get interested in this, I thought, what a psychopath. And that's not far out of the ballpark, but looking at Henry's life and his emotional disposition, I think I would not say Although he was a monster and he did monstrous things, I do not think that Henry VIII was a thoroughgoing psychopath, if by that you mean has no empathy, no conscience, and no emotions aside from anger. I would, I think, to me, he looks more like a very severe case of borderline personality disorder with, with strong secondary psychopathic traits. What do you think, Tasha? Yeah, that you know that sounds pretty. Um, I would say that sounds pretty nailing him. But I, and I say that because I agree that he probably was not a full blown psychopath. I do believe um, because he and Catherine spent time together, very yep. in love, pining yes. for each other, and um, I think that what he got caught up in and where his. Um, dysfunction comes from is from his grandmother and these expectations that the tutor line continue and his brother died so it all fell on him yes and not producing a son and not producing a son and sons dying and sons dying and they you know all these babies that died that Catherine had and then producing a daughter yes who was who was who was Mary who became Mary the first yes and and um that, that really that really laid the groundwork for him to just completely dissociate. Yes. And then, you know, all of the people who had um, 
who had their own political agendas who were advising him, Cardinal Wolseley and mm-hmm. his grandmother and the um, the Bolins and just all of these other people that, yes. that were around him and whispering in his ears and telling him what he wanted to hear mm-hmm. and telling him he wasn't the one at fault. And biologically speaking, we know that it's men who make the girls and the boys, not the women. You know, yeah. we know that now right. in our advanced state of human being. Um, but back then there was still such superstition around, you know, whose fault it could be. Yes. And and he gets other women pregnant who he's bedded down while he's still married to Catherine. He's like, Well, yep. see, it wasn't my fault. I had a son with her. Yeah, I had What's a son your with problem, Bessie Brown. Lady? Yeah. Right. <laughs> What's your problem? This is not my problem. This is your problem. So it just made it really easy for him to dissociate and then add in the religious components too and i say this as a devout roman catholic in the latin right religion can mess with people okay we're gonna wrap it up and leave it there for this week and come back next week for the rest of the episode with tasha thanks for listening well hello listener it's mommy again you're quite welcome for the fine program why don't you show some gratitude send mommy some money on patreon patreon.com slash disaffected or subscribestar.com slash disaffected you wouldn't want mommy to starve would you and if you don't love your dear mother you're not invited to find us on youtube rumble or odyssey for our hottest weekly content I guess this is goodbye forever.